Rob Lee here, folks, from MTR Podcasts, and this month's presenting sponsor is Double Dutch Boutique. Double Dutch is vintage-inspired flair with a contemporary cut. The boutique features sought-after independent designers from around the world, as well as assorted goods produced by local artists and makers. Double Dutch promises a shopping experience just as unique as its clothes. Pop on over to www.doubledutchboutique.com today for their latest goods. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I'm your host, Rob Lee, and my next guest is an emerging and uncategorized queer Latinx artist of Mexican descent living and working in the U.S. We have Jose Corona. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So thank you. We had a, we actually had a good conversation before we got, got started here. So <laughs> we did, we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I gave that that really thousand foot view and it's deeper than that, right? It's deeper than that is what you're what you're doing and what your work is about and the art that you aim to pursue. So so speak on that. Speak on what your work is about and and, and why you're pursuing it. So, I mean, yeah, that was a good intro. I definitely do uh, recently started uh, identifying as an uncategorized artist, totally made up, but I'm like, you know what? It works for what I'm trying to do. Um, My work is really multidisciplinary in nature and spans installation, performance, sculpture, 2D work, as well as video. So really very broad. Um, I guess one constant is that color is uh, always central to the work in one way or another. And I really think this is stemming from my early training as a painter. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout my work, I consider what it means to be a queer Latinx artist in a place where there are few. And in the process, I examine both the psychological and physical ramifications of never seeing yourself reflected anywhere. I do this while also celebrating the ingenuity of immigrants in the United States, uh, despite our unique circumstances. And I pursued art, Um, you know what? I think I pursued art for the promise that it held to be able to craft something out of very modest materials, Um, but also for its promise to facilitate the crafting of an artist's personhood. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, that was a little, you know, I got a little esoteric there, yeah. (laughs) It's this notion of, um, my meager background in it, like of taking, you know, almost practically what nothing or very meager things as you described. And, you know, looking at this, like even from the space I'm in sitting here, I have, I don't have the greatest equipment in the world. I have a green screen. I have Mm -hmm. a 10 year old mixer (laughs) and a computer Mm -hmm. that's hanging on by a thread. And it's just being able to take those things and bring together whatever that it is to make it something to make it something for the audience that, that people seem to like. And that's the approach that I like to take. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the, the category, the uncategorized notion that I like that. Um, I think it invites more dialogue about the work. So speaking on it, what are some of your artistic movements that have in, in, in artists that have influenced you? Oh, a million, but you know, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like whenever I get this question, it's it's a lot of, of different things that enter my mind. But for me, I think speaking on artists, I've really been influenced and inspired by artists who are always, uh, you know, doing their own thing on their own lane, kind of like living their own little world um, and existing and thriving in between media, which, you know, really speaks to my approach to making. Uh, but folks, you know, who have uh, who are now maybe past would be Phyllis Gonzalez Torres, 
Eva Hess, Ana Mendieta, Luis Bourgeois, Matisse, Cezanne, Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera. Um, contemporary artists that you know are still with us would be Coco Fusco, uh, Teresita Fernandez, Pedro Reyes, Rafa Esparza, La Chica Boom. And so all of these artists, again, have this thread in common of really working in between media, uh, you know, kind of like pushing boundaries in their own way. Um, for instance, Pedro Reyes is now working with Stone. And it's like, even though that's very traditional, it feels, you know, it feels fresh in 2021. Um, other artists are just, you know, in between performance and installation. Uh, uh, Rafa Esparza making adobe bricks that he hires his family to make them. And then he covers galleries uh, with this Adobe bricks and then installs the work on top of that. So for me, that's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So just artists doing their own thing. I'm as, as you were describing, I was like, what are these names? I'm going to remember. I'm just typing them in. Uh, Cause that's what I do. As soon as someone mentions an artist, someone mentions like music or something that they're drawing some influence from. I, I think there is a uh, transitory nature where you, mm -hmm. you get influenced by it's like, it Definitely. may not be your area. It may not be your thing and it may not be a discipline that you're working with, but you'll get mm -hmm. something out of it. And that's the beauty of art, right? I mean, it makes me think when you said that, it makes me think of music where you may not understand music. I'm not a musician, but music strikes you or you feel it in your soul and you're like, what is this? What's going on? So like, you know, that it, yeah, it, we can go in and out of these different uh, forms of art and not necessarily have to understand them to, to feel them, to understand their power. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's the thing. Like, um, I, like, I, I find that, so when I, I I'll sit here and I'll have like the interview schedule for the course of a week. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, let's try to come up with something. Let's not do stale questions. Let's try to come up with fresh questions. And I find that I'll either put something on and it may be instrumental music. Maybe I need lyrics. I need something. Mm -hmm. And I notice, depending on what I've listened to, it shifts the type of questions. I might get a little bit, hey, man, let's free jazz it. And I'll mm. look back of, hey, I was listening to jazz when I came up with those questions. Or it might be something that's more kind of just straight to that point. And I may mm -hmm. improv it a little bit. I was listening to a different genre. I may have been listening to some really long, long, super long instrumentation, like some Fila Kuti or something. And I'm getting something out of it. And, um, I, I just noticed that change how I, um, how I approach things It changed part mm -hmm. of my process. Isn't that beautiful? That's <laughs> yeah. That's the power of art. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you touched on just various things, installation, performance, video, 2d, mm -hmm. everything. Um, seriously. <laughs> and in what ways does your process differ between them in, in very simple terms, because it's a lot, right. And which ways can they be similar? Cause you know, you run into people and you're like, Oh, all of these are very different. Where do you find time? But it's like, they may be similar to how you receive them, how you perceive them. So mm -hmm. speak on those differences and those, those similarities between the mediums, what you work in. Well, yeah, I would say that there's definitely, uh, obviously there's plenty of both, but definitely there's a lot of similarities in that, uh, you know, it was a very conscious decision for me to, expand beyond painting, which was actually kind of difficult for me. I had actually a professor once who just sat me aside and they were like, you are making, you are like hammering paintings together, throwing canvas painted on, on your body, like to cover the body. You should be in the sculptural department or maybe in fibers. And I was borderline offended because I was so sold on this idea of like the painter being kind of like the utmost artist that you could be. But so, but after I kind of breaking away from that, making that conscious decision to kind of uh, 
kind of like without censoring, really just going in and, exp and exploring these, these other ways of producing work. Um, you know, I think that having made that conscious decision helped me in that I feel like I've always brought in those painterly elements or that painterly history as a way to never feel scared per se of like something new, because I know that I can always fall back on formal elements or I can, I understand color or I understand how to, to take care of a surface, you know, the surface of a canvas. So suddenly I'm like, oh, it's not so scary. It's just now I'm working in performance. And so I think about the space, even though it's not a canvas, I'm like, I'm still in charge of activating the space that I'm, I'm, I'm drawing attention to. So in that way, the, the, the different, different media is, you know, similar, but obviously I can't be too romantic about it because, you know, uh, getting the color out of a little tube that's red is very different from, you know, finding how to shift something uh, while video editing, you know what I mean? Right. So the technical elements, those are limitations and that you have to overcome them if, you know, if in, to be able to, to use them the way you want to. So technical limitations, they're their own thing and they're so unique to each, uh, you know, media. But, um, but overall, it's just, it's a fun challenge, you know? And I'm genuinely interested in ex ex kind of like expanding my repertoire of tools that I can use to produce work in. Um, yeah, but also just, you know, generally being just present with it and being like, you know what, this is the best vehicle for XYZ project I'm working on. So, you know, realizing that maybe painting couldn't accomplish what the performance could, or the video could kind of uh, uh, work nicely next to the performance, you know? So, so that opens up just more possibilities. And I'm like, you know what? Yes. And also it's 2021. Like we have access to machines. We have access to printing situations. We have you know, I mean, uh, drones, you, you name it, you know, 3D printing. Like, yeah. I haven't gone into 3D printing, but I'm like, that's exciting. And it's available. Like, when have you been able to access that kind of machinery before, you know? It, and it, it makes sense. It resonates in that way. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down in terms of that connects with which what you said earlier about the that kind of your influences and that kind of DYI. Like here's my lane. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm picking it. It might change, but this is my lane. My lane is TBA. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, so, and you know what? And it was not necessarily always I wasn't always kind of like confident doing that because I there is kind of this invisible, and I guess it's a historical thing, but this invisible pressure of mm, you're not gonna be as successful if you don't claim something that's more you know, easily uh, understood. So for instance, I'm a painter. It's like, not that that's any simpler, but, mm -hmm. oh, okay, a painter. So you work within the realms of painting versus now, you know, using the word uncategorized to your point that it kind of like allows for more dialogue there. Uh, but I didn't always feel comfortable about that because I felt that maybe I was limiting my opportunity pool. Yeah. You it, know, but now I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. It's, it's almost counter to the, to the notion. Cause I, I run in and I admire people who they may come off as a little out there, a little off, whatever. But when they're like, look, I'm going to make sneakers and produce this rap album, or mm -hmm. I'm going to go into painting and uh, these things that people feel like you shouldn't be able to do. And it's just like, I'm going to call myself this. I'm yes. a creator. I'm, I'm doing this. I, and people will make this con concerted effort to make you smaller and to put you in this. It, it, it's putting you in this box to use that, you know, beaten horse, yes. but we'll put you in this box 
And you can be as broad. Like I, I literally had a conversation earlier and this is, this is new. This is, I don't even know if it's tea. This is new, new shit right here. I was like, yo, I want to be in an action movie. And the guy I work mm. with, he was like, we can do that. And I was like, hell yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Podcaster, mm. action movie. Mm-hmm. I'm on billboards. I'm just yes. going for the things. <laughs> you know what? And you mentioning these things, it made me think of Solange, right? It's like, we wanted her to be a Beyonce. And she was like, no, I am a Solange. And she, you know, kind of like not limiting herself to the music realm and really kind of like, you know, super embraced by, by the, the, you know, visual arts world. So like performing in museums, working with dancers, creating these kind of performance pieces. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm sure that was also kind of like a moment of <gasps> it's it's nerve wracking, I'm sure, because you're like, oh, no, am I going to limit my X, Y, Z? But no, you didn't. It's just it's creating this new lane. And and then, you know what, once you're able so you may be alone in that lane. But then at a certain point when you are kind of like manifesting the vision and mm-hmm. then people catch up to it, they're like, oh, that's why you meant that. It's like, mm-hmm, that's what I meant the whole time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to toot it right now. Like, you know, not too long ago, I was getting well you know, early in the nascent stages, I was getting a lot of shit about being a podcaster. Like nobody does that. And then suddenly, yo, Rob, how, how can I get in a, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a thing. And I, I, I hope you're like, here are my fees. Uh, <laughs> let me know which one you'd like. Thank absolutely. You. <laughs> here, it's, it's a tiered up program, uh, <laughs> but, it, but it's one of those things. And I don't know if you agree with, maybe you do, because uh, like I said, uh, there's some connections there. you might be an air sign. Um, so I, I think that there is a, color or racial element in mm. making those things kind of smaller, what have you of, Oh, you shouldn't be able to do that. Let's categorize mm. you in this way. Mm. Here's the three things you get to say you are. And mm. two of them are descriptors. And one of them is what you do. And mm. that doesn't work for me. I like commas. Yeah. Well, you know what? And also, I mean, kind of like jumping off from that, this idea that like artists, especially, you know, black artists, indigenous artists, brown artists, that there's this also very real pressure of, okay, well, obviously you're making a political statement. Talk talk about your struggles, talk Mm -hmm. about your traumas. Tell me how, how this is in the work when, you know, for a long time also, and I've actually had conversations like this often with, with artists of color and, and kind of like internalizing that. So like, yes, that comes through the work, but that's not the limit, the limits of the work, you know, that, you know what, actually I was in a, uh, an artist retreat um, a couple of years ago and Joyce J. Scott, you know, the, the amazing Joyce J. Scott from Baltimore uh, at one point mentioned like, you know what? I make art because I felt like it mm-hmm. period, nothing else. And it's like, <gasps> shocking. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because it's <laughs> like, you, it doesn't always have to like, don't force that upon me because we are, you know, uh, multi-layered human beings with a variety of existences. Like maybe I want to make some abstract artwork. Maybe I'm just interested in color, not even attached to race, race or racial identity. And I feel like that has, I, I see it changing, but, but that's kind of, again, it's like, who's imposing that mm-hmm. on this group of people? Yeah. Cause it's, it's too much of a responsibility. I think like, as, as you touched on it, it comes to the work, comes to what you're doing. And, you know, in, 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 for me trying to get more comfortable at doing this and looking at it from that space of this is my art, this is what, this is my Ikigiri or what have you. And I know I always botch it, but that's, that's what it's, it's my purpose of getting up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I end up doing these things and only up until recently, I got the whole, you're radical. 
you're this, you're that. And I was like, I've always been a six foot four, three. Well, I hope not because my mom gave birth, you know, like I've always been a six foot four. Hold on, Jerry. I'm, you know, I've always been a, a black man and, you know, living in this world. So my viewpoint, the way I perceive things, the, the, the things I just, I want to talk about, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to, it's, 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 it's baked in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's baked deep inside. And, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. And so, Speak on, speak on this. This is of supreme interest to me. So, um, what is it? Uh, what is his name? Uh, Rollo May. He has this, uh, book I've been reading about, um, the daily rituals, like the morning rituals of artists. So speak mm. on yours. What are your, your daily creative rituals? Cause I feel like everyone has them and some of them are weird. Like, look, I have toast every morning. And then, so what does what is, what is your daily rituals look like? Well, you know what? I feel like it's not one set of daily rituals. You know, I think I can, I mean, just from the top of my head, I can probably separate them into when I'm on a deadline and when I am kind of able to just be uh, kind of like a little bit more slowed down and exploring ideas or materials. So, you know, if I'm on deadline, it really is just about, um, the necessities of life. Like you're going to stuff your mouth with something in the morning as breakfast. It doesn't even matter. Now run to the studio, get there, you know, keep trucking because the deadline is very much looming. So in those times, it's more about, um, you know, if the work is already finished, it really is just about the drawing or, or, um, you know, thinking about the exhibition space or just whatever the process may be that you're at in terms of the execution of this deadline. Um, and if it's when, you know, those moments when it's a little bit more slowed down and you're caught up, those are exciting for me. It definitely, it always starts with just making it to the studio, no matter what, you know what I mean? So getting to the studio is kind of like the first step and the biggest step, because as soon as you're there, uh, whether you do, you know, 2% of something productive or it ends up being 50%, you just never really know, but it's, it's about being there and being engaged with the work. Maybe it was just a day of thinking that day. And, but it actually results in so much productivity because you've uh, kind of like figured out the process to get to point B. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's really, you know what, I guess to boil it down, it would be my ritual is getting to the studio. Yeah. That's it. Get to the studio. You're good. <laughs> and obviously then again, when I'm in slow down mode, um, that's when reading about art is exciting and interesting. So like, uh, and I, you know what, I mean, you're kind of making me think about this. And it's like, what are my rituals? And it's true. Like I do you know, when it's slowed down, pull up articles. That's like an exciting moment to see what's going on in places that maybe I can't get to if I can't get to New York or, you know, I was in Tulsa for a chunk of time and Mm -hmm. it's middle America. So, you know, even just seeing what's going on in the East Coast or the West Coast, like what's exciting through, you know, written text. Um, Listening to podcasts, I think it's super helpful. You were just talking about it, but there's so (laughs) many, yeah, there's so many podcasts now that it's like, holy cow, like plethora of artists interviews and for me that's just so rich to you know uh hear other artists process what they're thinking about because there's always um you know kind of like themes and umbrellas that we all kind of like share and fit in like always discovering things at the same time but like in different ways because we're all so unique you know uh so so you know reading and then obviously going and looking at art again when it's a slowed down moment and um and then obviously then it gets less you know 
mystical or magical and then back to the reality so always writing researching for grants like where is the next exhibition going to be how am i going to fund the practice like uh what am i working on for next year that maybe needs a substantial amount of money well who's going to pay for that um you know so it, it you know it's like yes fun rituals but it's also like art is work you know yeah. so it's very much like it's business side and then creative side and i, and I think that's been a theme, especially in some of the earlier episodes of like, I, I remember uh, talking with James Nasty and he'd mentioned like, sometimes people just don't have their stuff together. And he was like, yes. I just want to do a, a class where people recognize that there yeah. is the art side, there is the business side. They have yeah. to wash each other's hands because you can't do one without the other, really. Um, and that's actually a big one. And I think that, you know, because it's drilled into our head, really, that this romantic notion of like, and, and then I was just an artist and and it was beautiful and nothing else. And it's like, that's too romantic. Like that's not <laughs> how it functions. So, you know, for me, I've been like, uh, the reason I've maintained, you know, a professional independent practice officially, like, oh my God, I'm just doing this for about six years. And, you know, I can assure you that being a quote unquote full-time artist means 50% in the studio. And the other 50% is very much administrative work, mm -hmm. research, interacting with people and doing that business element, you know? So it's like, no, you can't always be smoking that joint in the studio, sorry. Like sometimes you have to actually be meeting people and it's like, damn, but guess what? I appreciate that because I'm like, that's okay with me. Like, because to your point, I know that doing the, the admin work leads to my downtime, my fun time, my exciting time, my production time. So, you know, you can't have one without the other, like you said. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, again, it's a thing where just arriving to it, this, this idea and having all these really cool things happen recently, you know, it's just work that gets put in because, you know, mm -hmm. being very aware of it, like I, as a kid, you know, and even to my adults and even now where, I wanted to be an artist and then I kind of shifted into admiring, observing and being artists adjacent. Right. Mm, and mm -hmm. being able to see these things. And it's like, but and, and doing business stuff during that time, mm -hmm. running a few businesses here and there and getting a business degree. So it's like, I understand mm. the, that side and I'm starting to be more aware through, through these interviews of what, what that artist life looks like. And mm -hmm. one of the big things in, in doing these podcasts, it's, artists, entrepreneurs, and tastemakers, it gives you a, 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 like, I would imagine the entrepreneur should be listening to the artists, you know, mm -hmm. and the artist should be listening mm -hmm. to the entrepreneurs and very much very and getting much. something mm -hmm. from it. So we, we talked about the front end of make sure you get to, you get to the location, you get to the venue, you get to your place. <laughs> Let's talk about that back end of it. Like, uh, you know, we, we, what are some memorable responses you, you've had to your work or what have you? Cause I, I understand that, all artists are there and, and, uh, and seeing like how the audience may respond to their work, but some do, and you're doing a little bit of, of everything. You're everywhere. You know, you're right in here right now, actually. You know what? <laughs> yeah. So you know what, actually, I mean, the one that's popping to or coming to mind is actually just the most recent. So, um, just this week I've been getting, multiple messages and actually from strangers because I have a current exhibition um, Sunset Moonlight at the Walters Art Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a part of the Sondheim Artist Prize finalist exhibition, which is actually on view until July 18th, uh, 2021, during the regular museum hours. But what I have been, I just, I was a little bit shocked because I'm getting these messages and at least three of them so far 
have mentioned either tearing up or full on literally crying in the middle of the exhibition. Again, these are strangers. So I'm like, okay, well, I have to believe you because what? And again, I'm very surprised, but it also, you know, reassures me about the power of art and the presence that it has with or without the artist present. You know what I mean? Like the decision-making already took place, the making took place. I have let this ship sail and now people are encountering it, you know? So I just think that's a beautiful thing, you know, yeah. the power of what, uh, the presence of the art, but also the power of what art can do to, for a human, to the soul, really. And we and we we live for those those moments, really. I mean, I, I would imagine is is being. I mean, a... that's never happened. I was like, what? <laughs> what am I reading? This is crazy. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I mean, and one thing that I think is different about this exhibition than others, because I mean, yes, I've gotten a message or two here and there from other things, but this one, it's like an, a significant uptick. And the only shift is that instead of showing a singular body of work here. I am for the first time bringing uh, five bodies of work from the past 10 years. Oh, wow. So really I'm presenting a survey exhibition of my artistic production over the last 10 years. And I think that the work together is maybe creating that, you know, that humming, like, ah, like it makes <laughs> sense because now it's in relationship to each other. So we were talking about being on your own lane and it's like, oh my God, maybe here the work is like, again, maybe the vision has been brought, you know, to fruition and, mm -hmm. I'm hoping anyway. And I'm like, oh, people must be responding to that. Anyway, that's, yeah. You're, you're selling the ticket. So what I'm going to have to do is go there and I'm going to shed a few tears and, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and, email and feel me. something <laughs> and email you. I'm going to feel something in this black, dark heart of mine. Uh, so um, one of the things early, early in uh, we talked about was this, this notion of um, representation and, and being seen. Mm. So just describe from your vantage point, because everyone has their own, you know, mm -hmm. definition. Some people feel like, oh, well, they got a black person in there or they got a brown person mm -hmm. in there. All mm -hmm. good. Check that box. Mm -hmm. Describe representation from your vantage point and why is it important, important within the arts and culture community? So I think you're right. I think representation is a first good step, but it's definitely not the final step by any means because to your point just now that it's easy to be like, oh, check, like quota, met, the end. No. So it does start with becoming visible, audible, you know, having opportunities to speak and, and just kind of like uh, shift the conversation, if you will. But it also continues into leadership roles, into decision-making roles, and really, frankly, in infiltrating the structures of power, which for so long have sought out to impede, you know, Black, Brown, Indigenous people from even entering. So again, first good step, definitely not it. Yeah. It's not the end. It's like, okay, then what? Like, okay, great. The door is open. That's, or maybe it's not even open. It's cracked. Okay. Not nice. Now, now I want to see the other rooms. Okay. <laughs> I want, I want the grand tour and I don't want this, yeah. uh, this representation to turn into tokenism. I just want exactly. it. To, and, and exactly. one of the things that I like to do, cause I, you know, you know, I think I might be the next great critic of life. Oh yeah. Uh, we need more of those. We need more of those. Honestly. That's, that's the lane I like to live. And it's like, eh, that's not how you do that. And, and literally that's how <laughs> I go with it. And my, the thing that I always look for when that bone is thrown or what have you, or if you're mm -hmm. vegan, that stem, I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> once you have it, what are you going to do with it? That's what I always exactly. look for. It's like, don't fall for it because you know, we have all of these things that I think separate us from the real thing. And we, we are in love with here. And I think many places around the world, but we're in love with here, um, mm -hmm. power, 
you know, power yeah. is at the root of all of these things that lead to people being mistreated and all of these different things. And, and mm-hmm. going back to it, you know, it goes to, we don't want to have people in these spots. Like you said, leadership positions and things like that. We don't want you mm-hmm. having the power to put more people like you here because <laughs> it yeah. takes away from our power. Well, you know what? This cartoon is just, uh, I'm going to budget. I wish I had it, but, uh, they drew this thing and they're like, it's a meeting of like, you know, the white executives and they're like, Oh my God, like another like black or brown person left. And they're like, why did they leave? And it's like, well, they were great. They just didn't align with our white ideals. And it's like, <laughs> well, that's it, it is. And you know what, even from being in groups of, uh, you know, educators or arts administrators, um, this, I see this often where the conversation is about you bring where it becomes toxic, where you bring in that one person, but really it's a, a, an overtly abusive situation. And it's an abusive situation because, you know, and violent, really, this person is supposed to kind of like shift centuries of, mm-hmm. of this like fucked up mindset that has perpetuated and become quote unquote normal. So then, you know, folks don't last in those environments because you're the only one you're constantly fighting. And when you're constantly flight fighting, you're constantly being depleted. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think that that is actually a function of white supremacy. And, and yeah. I've noticed that ever since forever, it's like, Oh, you're always being asked the questions. You always have to defend. And actually I think Toni Morrison talks to that where it's like, you're always going to be asked to, to kind of clarify yourself when in reality, it's like, I owe you nothing. I'm just going to go ahead and go, go on the own, my own lane and make the work happen, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also Toni Morrison who has that quote about, you know, once you get to one of these positions and it's not necessarily an introductory position, if you will, but it's like, oh, you're in a leadership position. Yeah. Don't forget to like go back and, and let others in, you know, yeah. it's like, we're stronger that way. You know what I mean? This like mentality of scarcity or, oh, there's not enough to go around. I feel like, again, that's also a tactic of white supremacy where it's like, actually, we know for a fact there's plenty of money going around. It's just who's controlling it and where is it actually ending up? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I try to in this kind of way, I, tr- I always look for these emerging artists. I look for people who it's always like, if you're in a group that looks like you're not getting your fair share, your fair shake to the front, <laughs> come, mm-hmm. come on down, come on down. I'll use my limited platform, but people mm-hmm. check it out to, you know, try to amplify what have you in whichever way I can. And, you know, for me, it's like almost paying off some karmic debt. It's like, I've been shitty on podcasts for a long time, making fun of all types of weird news stories. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, what can I do that matters to me? Not in a sellout sort of way. Cause I'm still do what I think is interesting, but still do things that I, I think are, are, are congruent with my values. And mm-hmm. I, love Baltimore. I love what makes up the culture here. And I believe that the artists and just the artists, the, the, the businesses and just people that are around that are about this city. Mm-hmm. I think that they make it worth, worth living in. And that's always been something that's important to me. I've had all types of opportunities to leave and I always put it this way. It's like, I can't guarantee I'll never leave. The mm-hmm. only place I would leave for would have to be a place that looks a lot like Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Yeah. I was, you know, I've been getting some opportunities outside of Baltimore, but I'm, my home base has always remained Baltimore, but I spent a big chunk of time. I think I mentioned it earlier in Tulsa yeah. and you know, with um, it's, it's middle of America. It's, it was definitely an eye opening for me, like kind of like, holy shit, understanding, you know, the complexities and kind of like 
just, uh, I don't know, to put it in this way, like the other side, like, holy cow, like how people view the world. And just uh, two days ago was the uh, Tulsa race massacre centennial. So a hundred years, Black Wall Street was raised to the ground. And, you know, a hundred years later, not a single prosecution, Mm -hmm. not a single person has been like, you know, uh, named and nothing really has been done. And now with this current, you know, centennial, um, there was a celebration or a commemoration and it wouldn't, it was so stark, like the difference between what the, what the actual, uh, you know, living survivors and descendants wanted and how they were trying to organize and, 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 you know, commemorate this and how white Tulsa and white mm-hmm. Oklahoma wanted to commemorate it. And because they controlled the funds in that way, it was just, it was so, it was, it's horrible. It's fucking horrible. Like, it's like, holy shit, you people are crazy and, and, and totally white supremacists yeah. and totally aligned with Trump and totally do not care for the actual like realities of what happened here. And instead you are dealing with this white fragility, this like this, this, you know, yeah, just white fragility is the word because it's like, yeah. you can't handle that. That is the history that you're stemming from. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that it's amazing and that's what we have to do is like create these opportunities and and create our own spaces so what actually the descendants and the current living um you know folks from the massacre they created kind of like a an opposing uh, festival and like mm-hmm. a celebration and and it was night and day to the point where the official centennial commission which is literally all white people um had to disband two days before the actual you know centennial yeah. Because Stacey Abrams dropped out, John Legend dropped out as soon as they heard about what the politics were behind this, you know? So, but again, the the actual community creating their own space and, and the way that they wanted to commemorate these, these things and celebrate the current population was amazing. And it's like, holy cow, we need to, if it can't be envisioned, we need to make it happen for ourselves, right? Because it's yeah. like. Mm-mm, nope. I, I can I can be in like two minds on it, but I I, I lean towards fuck that. That's that's what my mm-hmm. my lane generally goes towards. And uh, you know, is it, it, some people have this mentality of how how are we supposed to get in if we don't just accept what they give us? These are the only mm-hmm. let's look at it from pop culture, mm-hmm. right? These are the only roles they would give us. It's like you don't have to accept that shit. You know, you know. So yeah. you know, I, I, I without naming where I'm working, you know, they're they, they made an offer for all of the um, black employees. I remember last year um, and, you know, around this time last year, there was a lot of, um, you know, very present and, and very newsworthy unrest between all types of races, all different races. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember they gave us a half day for Juneteenth. And I was like, oh, my, thank you so much. And we got to get on the meeting with the uh, the, the, the group. It was a, um, a mailing list, the black employees of this company. Mm. And I was like, this is a weird list I'm on. And just listening to people and everyone was really about how can I make more money? Very individualistic. Right. Mm-hmm. And my standpoint was I've seen some systemic shit that we need to sort out here. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's focus on the money thing. So now and moving forward, the same company I'm at, Juneteenth is now a paid day off. It's now a full day now. And I was like, when when was this, when did this first happen though? Like you guys knew about this. So now you suddenly have a conscience in this area or even other local things, you know, companies, shoe companies and such. It's like, oh, you 
have been in Baltimore for over 20 years, 25, I believe. Mm-hmm. And people are saying, uh-huh. pushing back. And suddenly they're like, oh, change of heart. Have uh-huh. we? And it's like, uh-huh. is it? But, you know, I think it is a moment. And, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about this, like, this this new kind of wave that's coming in where people are. And, and I obviously definitely tied to both the pandemic and this, like, overt, you know, racial-based violence from police over the, you know, for years. But I think that because of the pandemic, maybe it was because we were in this, like, existential moment. Mm -hmm. It was like a moment of being just fed up. So, like, this pushback is actually quite exciting for me. And even though people are now rebranding this idea of, like, cancel culture as a bad thing, I'm like, you know what, though? I feel like it's it's just about, you know, being being held up to whatever actions or whatever, yeah. whatever thing you ended up doing. It's like people are just not not like speaking back and they want some answers. And if you can't answer those things, there's problems. Yeah, you know? it, and nobody it, wants to lose money, honestly. It, it's, it's accountability. It's it, accountability. You, you yes. know, one of the things I, I put out there and I was like, you know, you got to have the, the, the right folks around. And I was like, look, the queer community, they get it. Like, don't fuck with them because it's over for your ass <laughs> and i've maintained that for a very long time and it's one of those things where i was like we need better pr with some of these moves i was like eh. like when people were talking um defund the police i was like that that's an idea there i think it should be more around let's reallocate these funds Mm-hmm. let's take them from there and let's put them somewhere else namely these i these areas not a politician but these areas you can see in every budget education is fucked up infrastructure is mm-hmm. fucked up Healthcare, uh race stuff is fucked up take some of that yeah, money um, from the blue and put it in these other areas because instead of just this notion of defund say your hashtag and keep it moving but you know what but i think that and and you know we were also talking about this earlier but this yeah. idea of, like the nuance of things because i think that people were getting held up on on the title of, right. of what was encompassing this. And so defund the police, it did not end at defund the police. It actually encompassed everything you just said. <laughs> it was just literally like, you know what? It's it's people not reading the article and reading the headline and people not actually doing research just like, oh, something about defund the police. I understand everything about this. Yada, yada, yada. And it's like, mm, you don't. <laughs> it's, it's like a very simple mind, a simple way of thinking. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's not just a thing because guess what? In politics, you see both Republicans and Democrats, but Republicans really like, I mean, pro-life. It's like, what the fuck? Like, it makes it seem like ah, you are this lovely thing. And it's like, no, you're fucking evil. And what you're saying is yeah. like, you know, trying to like rule over like a woman's body, mostly men yeah. doing that. But I'm like, but again, the, the phrase is pro-life. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's almost sweet I you mean, know, so, I, I do the mm. thing of like, are you qualified to do that at all? Like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, you know, these white guys are going to make decisions for women's bodies. You're not qualified yeah. like mm-hmm. <laughs> at they, all. What, when have they been? Uh, so, it's well, like, mm-hmm. so the last question is we're getting, <laughs> is we're getting out there. Yes, but we yes, can yes, get yes. Out there. Um, last question I have, uh, it, 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 it goes back and I was trying to segue, but we were having a really good conversation. I was trying to segue into it. Um, Describe your experience in Baltimore and what it means to be an artist with connections here. Oh, Baltimore, Baltimore. (laughs) I feel like Baltimore has been so good to me. I, um, I don't know. I mean, that's a place where I came of age. That's a place where I really established myself as, you know, an independent person and, and really established myself as an artist here. And throughout the last 16 years, I feel that it's been the best incubator Mm -hmm. for 
for my work, for my ideas. It's, it's been a, a great place to like, try out new things, to fail miserably, to, to succeed intensely. Uh, so I love Baltimore. I think Baltimore is so special and um, doesn't get its due as much as it should. Um, and I mean, also Baltimore is the place, again, I mentioned her earlier, Joyce J. Scott is in Baltimore, you know? Uh, Amy Sherrill, this is where she painted the Michelle Obama portrait. And, you know, it, it has both a great cultural scene, an art scene, a music scene. Um, Baltimore is just great. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, mu and much appreciated for saying that. I think um, I was involved with this really cool project uh, back in uh, February, and it entailed giving roses to the people in Baltimore, literally giving you your roses. Mm. And it was just like hearing that, that positive reinforcement, because we don't hear it enough. It's just Baltimore, insert whatever bad thing, mm -hmm. period. And instead of like normalizing the, the people here and the people that call this place home and the people that have cut their teeth here. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that gets missed a lot. And it's just, you know, I always point out and I, and I'll leave with this before we get into some shameless plugs, you know, for as quote unquote bad as the city is, there's mm -hmm. a lot of residential properties being built up even during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. so people want to move here, yeah, but it's, it's dangerous. White people in flip-flops here, but it's dangerous. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's very, because, you know, it does, that does piss me off in terms of like just money not being allocated correctly. You know, I'm tying like connections between, again, like having spent some time in other places, like even Washington, D.C., but now most recently in Tulsa, like North Tulsa is, you know, the West Baltimore. It's like, it's so, so it's in Tulsa, it's literally, you know, cut apart from the white area through a highway, you know, that was very wow. intentionally built. Yeah. So like, just the resources not being allocated correctly. And, and imagine if they were, you know, it's yeah. like that instead of other people, sure, it's lovely that other people are being attracted and coming from elsewhere, but what about supporting also the people that are presently here, you know, that have a long history of being uh, just from Baltimore, yeah. you know, born and raised and like, and, and making sure that, that folks have some kind of pathway to like ownership, to owning their own homes, to like having access. And obviously, and the city does have some programs, but I'm just thinking like, not in a, in a large scale, right. you know, when it really shifts, uh, just, just kind of this, this annoying, depressing and just way that things have to happen for such a long time there. Yeah. Well said. Uh, so where can he find you online? Plug yourself. Uh. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess the most, the easiest thing would be, you can always check my website at hosycorona.com. And uh, all my handles on social media are also at Hosey Corona. So I make it easy. Uh, and that's H-O-E-S-Y-C-O-R-O-N-A. Um, and I guess I'll plug it in again. But I do have a current exhibition at the Walters Art Museum titled Sunset Moonlight. And it's a 10-year survey of my artistic production. Uh, most of the, well, really all of the work was, was, you know, birthed in Baltimore. So for me, I'm very proud of this exhibition and um, I am just delighted and excited to share it with everyone in Baltimore. That's great. Go check that out, folks. Uh, so I want to thank you for, for coming onto the podcast and being such a great guest. Thank you. Yes, I love this. This was great. So for Hosey Corona, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Oh,